Welcome to the Teaching Behavior Together podcast, where I provide you with actionable steps for making your classroom management plan effective by incorporating behavioral and social-emotional learning activities into your daily teaching. Hi, I'm Maria, and I have 10 years experience in the field of behavior analysis. In each episode, I will be providing you with effective and evidence-based strategies you can use to create a classroom environment you want to go to each morning. No longer will you be driving home in tears over the overwhelming feeling of trying to manage student behaviors. So sit back, listen up, and start seeing success. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Teaching Behavior Together podcast. Today, I'm here with Braylon from That Special Educator over on Instagram, and we have a little bit of a different type of episode for you today. We're not necessarily going to be talking about behavioral and social-emotional learning. We're just going to be talking about education in general and enjoying your life as an educator and just things that we do to really enjoy the field of education. So let's just get right into it. Hi, everyone. We're here today with Braylon. Braylon, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Braylon. Um, Yeah, about myself, I'm trying to think. I'm a special ed teacher, and I really like my job. (laughs) And you can find her on Instagram at that special educator. Yes, yes, for sure. And go follow her because she posts amazing content. And we have a really exciting topic for you today. We're going to talk about enjoying life as a special education teacher because we all are feeling it this year and can use a little bit of um, pick me up and just talking about how we go about making the most out of being an educator and really enjoying our jobs. Because I think we both really like our jobs. Um, People have heard me say several times that I have my absolute dream job, but there are certain things that we both do to help us frame our, our mindset so that it's, that we enjoy being educators because it can be a, a difficult job to be in. Yeah, for sure. It's stressful. It can be challenging, but I I do think there's a way to enjoy it and to balance your life. With yeah, your job. yeah. I feel like that. I feel really similar to you. Like special ed was my dream job, and being a teacher was my job, my favorite job. Like that's all I ever wanted to do, and um, so it was kind of built up in my head, like through from the time I went to kindergarten until I graduated college like it was just like this like dream like on a pedestal and I the reason I put it so high it was because I wanted to be with kids and I wanted to interact with them and and enjoy spending time with them and doing crafts and projects and watching people learn and those those are things that are passions of mine and I feel like they really um what's the word like made me excited, I guess, like they filled my bucket. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that I think it's really easy to forget, like forget how exciting the job can be when there's so many like stressors, when there's like paperwork and adults and like Mm -hmm. other things that you like don't expect. So yeah, I, I agree. Like it really was my dream job. And so I feel like I've had to like remind myself multiple times, like, this is why you do this job because you want to be with kids and you get to see them every day and you get to be around them and do fun things with them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I do the same thing. Like there are times where, you know, days are long, days are tough. You know, we all have tough days and I think that goes for any profession. And there've been times where I've come home and just kind of been like down about things, but then I have to remind myself that this is, 
this is a profession that I chose because I love being with kids. I love helping them build skills and just seeing them in master so much success. And, and I try and remember, you know, one of the reasons I love collecting data is because even on the bad days, data shows the progress, right? Like even when things aren't going perfectly, I can look at the data and just see like how much progress the students have made over time and um, focus on that. And that really helps, I think, with the mindset piece of it with it, it. I do think it's a mindset that you have to have is that you chose to be an educator and, and the things that you enjoy about being an educator are things that will help shape your mindset so that you can continue to enjoy the job that you have because the the data is staggering with how quickly special education teachers leave the field and oh my and it's sad because no one goes into special education thinking I'm going to leave in five years I don't think anyone really chooses a career that they think oh in five years I'll, I'll just be done with this and move on to something else especially like something like education where you have to have such a passion for it and it's just it's one thing that when I was in school, we constantly talked about is the, is the turnover rate and stuff like that. And I always thought to myself, like, that's not going to be me, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not going to be you until you reach your limit and you're like, oh my gosh, wait. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I think you brought up a good point about data. I've, I've noticed, I'm not trying to come for anybody, but like, I've noticed a lot of teachers will use data also to make them feel worse about themselves, like the way they interpret the data, like, oh, this person hasn't made enough progress or the other, even like, you know, informal observation type of things, like this other teacher is doing this thing better than I am, or um, how are they not drowning in paperwork compared to me or whatever. And I think data, what I love about data is it is fact, you know, so you can see trends and and you can see all the like good things. But I think in interpreting, how do I say this, interpreting like observations of just other people informally or expectations that you have for yourself as a teacher, like it's, it can skew however you want it to skew, like based off of your, yeah, your mindset, um, you can skew it however you want. So if your mindset is like, this is hard or like my lessons have to be perfect or my students have to make this amount of progress by this date, then yeah, I'll, duh, it's not going to live up to the expectations. And, and it's, you're going to find every way to reinforce that thing, if that makes any sense. And so I feel like I've been, I've been noticing that and really thinking about it for myself too, of like, yeah, it is a mindset thing, but it's also like, I'm not going to take every, every observation, every time something melts down or every time a lesson doesn't work or, um, you know, not having as much organized as the next teacher over, like, I'm not going to use that and then be like, I'm doing a bad job. I need to be done. Like, I'm I'm just going to, sounds bad, lower my expectations a little bit mm-hmm. and realize, like, I'm just a human. And I, yeah, if that makes, I hope that's making sense. But yeah, it, it really is such a mindset thing, like you were saying. For sure. I was actually reading or listening to a book about, um, like, mindset and stuff like that. And they were talking about if you feel like, you have like a deficit in area, like say like organization or staying up on the paperwork, or you feel like your the way that you do something isn't as good as somebody else, that that's your mindset that when you go into other classrooms, and it wasn't specifically about classrooms, it was about life, whether it was just what you think about 
yourself in comparison to other people that you'll always see that until you change your mindset. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll always, it's kind of like if you go buy a car, they were comparing it to, you go look at some cars and then all of a sudden you see the, all of the, the car that you were looking at. Right. So like, if you're going to buy like a Honda Odyssey, then all the cars that you start seeing, you recognize, oh, there's so many Honda Odysseys out there, but it's because you're like, you were looking for it. And that was like something that's fresh in your mind. And the author was comparing it to that where like, if you um, feel like you're not good at something, especially with your job or something you're passionate about, when you're looking to other people, you'll always feel like you're less than because of that, Mm. like mindset piece of it, or you'll always think that other people do that part of the job better than you. Um, When in reality, it's just because your your brain is being primed in that way because of the thoughts that you have and switching that mindset piece of it can really help you with that comparison game that we all play, right? Like we all fall into that trap. Yeah. That's such a good point. It's so Oh my gosh. Wow. Wait, let me stew up. Wow. That's amazing. That helped me. <laughs> I, I actually, after I started listening to that book, I was thinking about that um, because sometimes in my role, we're supposed, we're seen as the expert, right? Like, so as a behavior mm. specialist, I'm supposed to be the one that's like the expert in behavior. And luckily I have other colleagues that are behavior specialists with me in the district that I can lean on and ask questions to. And I, I always play the comparison game and like, I didn't learn about enough about this. I didn't learn enough about that. I didn't learn this or that. And, and feel bad asking for help or assistance on things because I feel like I should know how to do that and I was thinking like oh this person always does this one thing better than me right and then it's like no it's just like a mindset thing like we have different skill sets you know she knows how to organize things in such a way or he knows how to organize things in such a way where you don't I don't realize how many times they're calling me up asking for things you know Mm -hmm. like you don't recognize that um that side of it or that people are looking to you for something or guidance or looking in your classroom, like, oh, she does this so well, you know, and I've made it a point to really point that out with people that I do that with, like, you do this so well, so that people like, hopefully, (laughs) if they're, if they think that they're not, that that's helping, like, build their mindset of like, oh, I, I love coming to you for this advice, because you do this so well. And I want to model, you know, whatever it is off of how you do it. Um, because I, I think that we could all use more of that for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think that's such a good point. And it kind of makes me think of like first year teachers, because I feel like this whole topic of like, um, you know, enjoying your job, finding balance and not getting burnt out. I feel like your first year as an educator is like the time when you're like scrambling the most. And I feel like there are a lot of factors to that, which kind of goes with what you were saying. Like you finish college or university or whatever. Now you're starting your job. And so you're kind of under this mindset of like, I think I know what i what I need to do, or I think I know how to do my job, but you very quickly realize that like you weren't prepared at all. But then there's still this high expectation of like, I need to, you know, be an expert on writing an IEP, or I need to be an expert on filling out all this paperwork in the specific deadlines of my specific state or province or, or whatever. And I think like, what you were saying, like, they're really, to avoid burnout, or to avoid feeling like super overwhelmed, or like you have to be working all hours of the day like there really needs to be a place where you can like go to ask for help or just just acknowledge Mm -hmm. just acknowledge that you don't know and I think like as a first-year teacher I feel like I realized that really quickly and like was like okay I need to 
find another teacher who can help me or I need to find another teacher who can look over my paperwork for me or I need to you know what I'm like not gonna make this beautiful craft instead we're doing another worksheet because like I cannot (laughs) or like Mm -hmm. whatever it may be like like what you're saying but like finding people who who have those things that you want those skills that you want because I can guarantee as a first year teacher you probably have a ton of strengths Mm -hmm. that you do really well and then maybe there are other teachers who do other things really well and kind of like piggybacking off of each other um Mm -hmm. to get the support that you need because I think like that's at least that's where like the stress started but then I got myself into a habit as a first year teacher of like this is stressful my mindset is down in the gutter and I don't know what I'm doing. And then it just perpetuated like mm-hmm. the next couple of years until I kind of got myself out of that rut. Right. Um, if that makes any sense. No, it totally does. I remember when I was, when I was in my first year, it was probably like October or November where I came home and I was like, I went to school for 10 years for this. And I don't know if I love it the way mm-hmm. I, I felt like I would. And it was because at that point I was three months into my job and and I had spent 10 years in school. I'd spent 10 years living a nine week lifestyle, right? Like every nine weeks, my life was different. Like you quarters and semesters mm-hmm. and like schedules changed. And I lived a school lifestyle where I was in class and had time to work and all of these things. And now my schedule was completely different. And it was a schedule I always wanted. Like, don't get me wrong. I was yeah. like, I want this schedule. I don't want to be in class at 10 o'clock at night. But for 10 years, that was my life. And now I'm a first year educator and I'm in school and I'm, I felt like, I felt like the way that I was a behavior specialist previous to that, cause I always had like part-time consulting stuff was different because of all the other things that I was doing and stuff like that. And I had to look to other people for their systems and procedures. And I thought that was what was overwhelming me is that I knew how to do school. You know, I knew how to be a, a student. I knew how to live that lifestyle. I needed to figure out how can I do this job efficiently so I don't feel literally overwhelmed every day when I walk in the door? Because I didn't have systems for how I organized my data or how I kept my files or how I scheduled things or how I went through my emails. Like And like keeping up with all of those like little things was so overwhelming that when I was looking to other people for help, I was like, how do you do this? Like, what is your system mm-hmm. for going through emails, making sure they're all answered in a timely manner? And also like making your to-do list off of those. And it was just like looking to other people and I've never met anyone that wasn't willing to help, you know? And yeah, that's such a good point. I'm hoping that as you become a more experienced educator, that you'll look to other people who might need support and say like, Hey, like this is how I organize all my IEP data. This is how I stay on top of all the scheduling. This is how I stay on top of the parent communication. Like all of those things that I think, add to the overwhelm of the job that's not just having fun with your kids all day you know like yes I feel like we know how to do that (laughs) that's such a good point and I think that's so cool that you like asked for help and did you feel like that helped you absolutely I feel like when I went to other people I was like I just don't I I remember being overwhelmed with managing being in multiple buildings and like keeping up with everything I had to do you know and I was like like, how do you, like, I always use my planner in, in school. And it was just a different way to plan out my day that I was struggling with. And I was like, I'm an organized planner person. And I am struggling with how to organize my day. Cause it always seemed like an email came in and something else was 
at the top of my list and I wasn't getting through my list. You know what I mean? It was just like, it was overwhelming. So I looked to people and I was like, how do you do this? You know? And they, they were like, well, I use this app and I use this and I use this. And I just started doing what they were doing and helped made it work for me, you know? And that's really when I started to feel my like groove and felt like I had things, I wasn't drowning every day. But I remember coming home that night and knowing that if I didn't change my mindset, that that I, I, I don't know if I would love the job that I love, you know? Yeah, I felt the same way. I didn't go to school for 10 years. It was only six. <laughs> but I remember, yeah, being like, oh my gosh, I wasted my money and I moved cross country. Like I wasted my time with this. And like, oh, this is not what I thought like mm-hmm. at all. And, um, oh, oh, it was just the worst feeling ever. And I think like something my parents always said, cause my parents, like as a kid, we moved around a lot till I was like in middle school. And my mom would always tell me like, we would move to a new place, um, that it takes two full years for a person, like when you're in a new city or town to start like start feeling attached to that town or start feeling like you're comfortable, you know, where everything is. And just, it's like second nature, like two full years to build deep relationships and all this kind of stuff. And, and I always was like, sure, whatever. But then as I got older, I realized that was so true. Like after like a year to two years, your heart's really invested. And I feel like that's kind of the same for a job too, is like, yeah, the first couple of months are exciting. And then like, it kind of dips. And then the first year, but like, by like the end of the second year, you really feel invested. But I will say like right now with people teaching in different modes than they're used to teaching, it's like restarting the whole thing over again. So even if you've been at a school for 10 years, but now you're teaching a different mode or, or method than you were before, um, you're restarting. Like mm-hmm. you're at ground zero. Yeah. So of course you've got to relearn the systems and all this stuff. But I think like you were saying, like that mindset, and just accepting like, oh, like this probably isn't what I expected, but like, yeah, finding the things that work and finding the things that feel good and balanced in your job, like in the long run, I think build really good habits mm-hmm. to like really enjoy it. I think that's yeah. such a good point. And I, I, yeah, I think that don't be afraid to ever ask somebody like how they do something. And, Cause if, if you look to them and you think that, that it's working really well, it's probably took them a while to develop that, right? Like so it doesn't work well the first day, you know, when you decide to like eat healthier, it doesn't mean the first day you, you know, all the mat, all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, you're, you're more awake and your skin is yes. glowing and like all the things like change takes time. And, um, they've spent years doing this. And if they have a way of doing something that looks like they run it really well, ask them about it. And I'm sure they'd be happy to share it with you. And and like you said, like two, it really probably does take two years till you feel completely comfortable in your, in your job. And I, and I think education is always changing. So that also being comfortable with change as well too, takes yes. a while to get used to. And, um, I think one thing that's also really helped me is finding people in my buildings that I really connect with, you know, and, mm-hmm. and can look to and can call and be like, Hey, I ran out of post-its. I don't even know where the supply closet is, you know, like 100%. Oh, that's such, that's such a good point. Like feeling comfortable. Like for me, um, I have to be comfortable in my setting. So things have to look aesthetic, which sounds really bad. Like I'm not that I'm not OCD. I'm actually really type B, but like things 
need to look visually beautiful for me to be like, oh, okay, like I want to be in this room. And I, or, or like, I want to be able to know like, oh, this person, I have a connection with them. They don't have to be my best friend, but something, you know, next door or down the hall, just eat, like makes you feel like more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, ex- and exciting. I feel like I started a new job last year and then it was like, we were always remote. And this year we've been in person and um, one of the biggest blessings to me is is my paraprofessional or my teaching assistant. I have two and one is remote full time and the other one is in person with me. And he lives on my way to work. Um, and I live in Boston. So the a lot of people use public transit. They don't have cars, uh, but I have a car. So I pick him up every day and I feel fine about it because we're in the same room with the same kids with the same germs, you know, like we just wear <laughs> yeah. masks and put the mm-hmm. windows down. But it has been the most, it has been one of the best things that has ever happened to me this year because it's only a five minute drive. But like in that time, we like chit chat and sometimes we stop and get coffee. He's not my best friend. I would never hang out with him on the weekends. Like we we keep those kind of boundaries. Um, but I feel closer to him. He's sitting in my car, you know, like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we've been through this this thing together of like teaching. And so that's just like a comfort level. And I was like brand new. I was like, oh, yeah, I don't know where the post-its are. I don't know where the stapler is. None of like, help me, you know, mm-hmm. or like, yeah, I didn't know the name of some of the people, like the higher up people when you started a new job. So I would like wait till they left the room. And then I'd whisper like, who is that person? And what's yeah. their job? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. I know them. Um, but just little, little things like that are finding your, like your people, um, and it could be anybody. It could be the janitor. It could be the lunch lady. Like mm-hmm. where I used to work, the lunch lady lived near me. So it actually was her, you know, like just depends on like just finding ways to make it comfortable in the same way you'd want an, a little office at home, a little nook to make you feel like you want to work. It's like the same thing at a yeah. school. Yeah, definitely. And I think finding like a group of people that during the day, like if you have lunch together, you're planning together or whatever, um, maybe not you're planning because you're planning, but like if you have your lunch period or something together, just talking about things outside of school. Cause I've been in environments where lunch was always talked about like the kids or the lessons or or like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it wasn't, it just felt like all day was, was that, you know, and, and I didn't enjoy those conversations and I've found a group of people that, you know, we eat lunch together virtually now, but like we used to eat lunch together in person and we would also focus on like not just talking about school and we know about each other's like lives. Like, no, we don't hang out outside of school other than like maybe we grab lunch on like a PD day where, you know, we're able to go out and, you know, grab something or something like that. But we don't like, we don't necessarily hang out outside of school, but we know about each other's lives and we ask about, yeah. Oh, you know, how's your mom or, you know, how, you know, how's this or that. And it's nice to have friends in the building. Right. And, and I also yeah. am the one I'm calling them up. I'm like, Hey, who do I ask about the fact that my email's not working or something? Cause you know, I still don't know mm-hmm. all of these things, even two years in, I still don't know, you know, everyone you're supposed to be contacting about all the things. <laughs> Same. Yeah. I, I totally relate. And it just feels good it just mm-hmm. feels better and yeah they don't have to be your best friends I will say I think like this is kind of like leading into like boundaries of work and life but my first two years teaching on my first job 
there were a lot of people that I was actually like felt like were my real friends and I would hang out with them often after work and like we worked at the same gym together and taught gym classes whatever and so I would see them pretty regularly like we would go get dinner and they're still my friends to this day like the relationships are still strong but I do think like I would not recommend having your coworkers also be some of your close friends that you see semi-regularly outside of work, unless you already knew them or like Mm -hmm. you have a special relationship only because we would go out to eat um, in the city somewhere and it'd be fine. Or even if I brought my boyfriend, they brought their significant others, like it would be fine. But eventually at some point that convo would turn back to work. Absolutely. No matter what, no matter what. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, but this is a Friday or a Saturday. Like I'm with people who I don't talk about work after work, which also is a big part of my yeah. boundaries. I don't talk mm-hmm. about work after work. And, but then I'm here with my margarita and my tacos. And I don't want to think about Johnny who hit me in the face yesterday. Like, it's just not my vibe. And so I wanted to put that into, like you're saying, like, having those people to talk to at lunch, which is so good. But on the flip side, like hang out with people if you want to, but like, if it starts to veer towards work all the time, then you might not have as much in common with them as right. you think. And that's the only thing you guys can talk about. Like, and it just brings stuff up. Yeah. I definitely think there's like the friends you have because you have something in common, right? Like the friends I have at work are because we work in the same place and we happen to get along really well. And we happen to have a lot of the same interests and we, we all agree that during lunch, we want to talk about, you know, our lives or, you know, whatever's going on in the world or something like that, as opposed to the job, you know, through Mm -hmm. our 50 minute lunch. Um, and, but like, like you said, like, we don't necessarily go out and stuff like that. And I remember friends that I had in grad school when I was getting my PhD, we were friends because we were all doing that, you know? And it was like, and I'm not necessarily friends with a lot of them anymore because we don't have that in common anymore, but we were, we did get along really well when we were in the programs together and stuff. I do have like one of my best friends. We're still friends. And I think we're still friends because we've moved like past that part of our life, you know? And like now we're friends because I don't know. She's like my, one of my best friends. And, um, we, we don't just constantly talk about the pro like we had other commonalities outside of school, if that makes sense. And yeah. we're able to like continue our friendship past being in a program where we were constantly stressed out all the time, you know, and, um, and, you know, hang out outside of school and not just talk about that all the time. And I think, like you said, if, if it always turns to work that, that might not be the healthiest boundary to have. If that's something yeah. that you're struggling with, if like you feel like work is consuming your life. Yes, I was going to say that. And also I wanted to say to people like, mm-hmm. don't turn this off if you're like, but they are my friends. Like, please do what you need to do. Don't listen to the two of us. If <laughs> if that's like what your lifestyle is like, like, please, you know, make friends, build relationships. But I do think like, I, I can only speak for myself. You know, I don't want to speak for other people, but the times when I felt like my job and my life were so blurred and it was getting in, it, it was too much. Like I was consumed. Like we, we had hinted at earlier was like, yeah, when I, when I worked really, really late, cause I felt like my lessons needed to be done or I had like four IEPs and I just hadn't prioritized my time and hadn't found time in my school days to make it work because I wasn't really delegating the way I should have been. Or, or maybe it was 
a factor not related to me. I had paraprofessionals or assistants that were not very supportive or an admin that was not very supportive. Like there, those are outside factors that affected me and my work. But I do think the things that I put in place to at least minimize that was, yeah, not talking about work after hours because I wanted to make, keep my life. (laughs) And, um, yeah, the friends that I made, not having my friends always be my coworkers to talk about work stuff. But then also the friendships that I have from my life, my childhood, my family, my like friends yeah, from college or just any time of my life, prioritizing those too. And I'm not, I'm actually more of an introvert than an extrovert. So I don't necessarily need events all the time. Like I never want to say that, Mm -hmm. but just like these relationships mean something to me. And if I worked an office job, they would also mean something to me. If I was a doctor, I would also prioritize them. So why is it that as a teacher, I feel like I can't prioritize these other relationships. And so finding those and and realizing like, I just need, I need to like spend a little time with them, especially like pre pandemic, you know, or like Mm. I need to, I need to pay attention to them, ask them how they're doing, listen to them talk about what they need to get out. Not just me talking about the woes of, of my job (laughs) or like, and then also I think finding like hobbies, it sounds Mm -hmm. so like basic, but like things that were really exciting to me that were different. Like I teach a spin class and a bar class. Mm -hmm. Those are so fun and they have nothing in it. It takes my mind. They start at four 30 on some days. Like I don't Mm -hmm. put them on Instagram very often, but I leave work. I go to my spin class. It's like, I'm socializing with a whole different group. And those are also not like my close friends. Some of them are like 80 years old, but they're taking spin and they're doing a great job. Right. And it's just like a fun camaraderie thing. And like, I'm so grateful. I have that as, as a different brain thing. And, and so it kind of also is like a, um, necessary pressure to not stay and to not do more work. Like I have to close my laptop to get to my class on time, Mm -hmm. you know, or I made a plan to FaceTime my friend at five. Well, I'm here. It's four. I have to leave, you know, or whatever it may be. And, and if that's how people operate and they need more parameters, then, then so be it. But the things in my life that are important to me, I want to keep important and it shouldn't matter what job I have. I, I want to prioritize them. Right. I think that, yeah, one of the, you hit on so many great points. And like you were saying, like, if, if you feel like you're, if you're not getting things done the way you want to get them done, or, or you're struggling with one aspect of the job, one asking for help, looking for how you can make yourself more efficient at those things, um, or work within the parameters that you have, like you were saying, there's sometimes outside factors that affect our jobs and like utilizing a problem solving model to help figure that out um, can be really helpful. And like you said, like leave when your, your time is up, you know, when your job is over, you know, there's very few of my friends outside of school who are not educators who stay for hours past their job or work, do things on the weekends. And I promised myself when I got out of school, I would not work on the weekends because I did that for so long. And it was, it mm-hmm. was, I was so burnt out and I could, I could not imagine the rest of my life being that way. And so I just don't, and I had to make it so that my, I was able to complete my job throughout the day and I didn't have to work on the weekends. And I don't talk about school on the weekends. Um, and I just, I just set those boundaries. I think it's a choice to set the boundaries. And I know some people might be listening and be like, there's absolutely no possible way I can just get my job done. 
And, and that might be true, but I also think there's the mindset of are there things that I can be doing better, faster, efficient, more efficient. I don't even know if that's a word more efficiently. And, um, and, you know, can I be asking for help in different ways? Can I be asking for support in something so that you are able to do it and you are able to set those boundaries is, is really important. And I'll say to the day, I've never done work for my job on the weekend and I don't answer emails on the weekend. I don't check my email. I have never put it on my phone and I probably never will. Um, I don't check my calendar. Like I, and, and maybe that's just because I was that burnt out at the end of my PhD program that I could, I knew I could not continue doing that, or I would not be happy. Um, that I, that that's the reason I helped me make that choice and that set that boundary. But I do think it's something that will help if you feel like being an educator is consuming your life. And that's kind of what this episode was all about. It's just like things that we do to, to be happy as educators, because, you know, if this is something you're passionate about, if it's your dream job, there, there is a way to really enjoy the job each and every day. Um, and one, one last thing before we get on to part two of this, um, that I, I love that you said is that you don't, you don't talk about work. And I feel like taking that just like a little step further and, I don't talk negatively about work when I'm at home mm-hmm. or, or to other people, just like I wouldn't talk negatively about one of my best friends. Like my job is something that I love. My friends and family are people that I love and I would never talk negatively about them to other people. So I don't want to talk negatively about my job or my passions or things that I like, because I think that can really affect your mindset about things. But I, I think that if you feel like you come home and like, you know, you're, it's just like negativity towards work, then maybe look and see what, what can I be saying that's not negative or can, can I choose to talk about other things with people other than my job and just see if that helps your mindset throughout the day. Cause yeah, um, I think it could. Wait, can I say one thing that yeah, I learned? Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. Okay. So one thing I learned was this makes perfect sense to me, but like, um, negative, negative experiences and negative thoughts, like stick more than positive feelings and positive thoughts. And like the reason trauma is so affects human beings is because it's that negative thing. And so you could fill someone up with so many positive memories, but that negative thing is so, um, poignant in their mind that they can't, it takes a long time to undo one negative thing. And so I think that kind of goes with what you were saying, like the negative thoughts, like getting into a negative thought pattern is just like deeply ingraining this one view and this one experience mm-hmm. that will just like that groove is going to get deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's going to be such a fast um, pathway to go back to every time versus like being intentional and training to not always um, automatically go to the negative takes a lot of work, but it's not reinforcing those really traumatic things. If that makes Mm -hmm. sense. No. Yeah, it totally does. Actually, I had a science teacher in high school who said, who asked us, we had, it was, I don't even remember what we're doing. I distinctly remember this lesson though. He was talking about, um, when you, um, when you drop a piece of toast with jelly on it, does it fall on the side with the jelly or the, the clear side of the bread more? And everyone of course said the side with the jelly. And he said, actually, they've run a study that statistically it falls 
evenly between the clean side and the jelly side, but people remember the jelly side more because it's a negative experience. Like you had to clean all that jelly up as opposed to just like (laughs) picking it up and throwing it away or, you know, five second rule, whatever you did with it. Um, But he was saying that about negative experiences is that it's easier for us to recall a negative experience in the feeling associated with that as opposed to a positive experience in the feeling associated with that. Um, So like, that's totally like evidence of what you were just saying. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. I didn't know the jelly thing. Yeah. Oh, for sure. All right. So we're going to head over to Breland's podcast. If you're not already subscribed to hers, go subscribe to hers because we're talking about part two of this and that's just enjoying life being outside of an educator and how we work to make sure that our lives are fulfilling um, as educators. So here we go. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everyone, that is part one of this episode. We go into so much more in part two over on Braylon's podcast, That Special Educator. Make sure you go over there and listen to part two because we talk all about enjoying our lives as educators and it's really chit-chatty. It's really, really great. So definitely go over there and listen to the second half of this episode. I hope that this was helpful and hope that it was just something that you can listen to and enjoy as an educator. And if you are looking for some behavioral and social emotional learning tools, if that is the reason that you came to this podcast. I do have an entirely free behavior intervention guide in the description. It is a 20-page guide filled with behavioral strategies that you can utilize to teach behavioral and social emotional learning skills in your classroom. It is completely free. All you have to do is click on the link, enter your email, and it'll be in your inbox very, very shortly. Thank you so much for listening. If you aren't already following me over on Instagram, it's at Teaching Behavior Together. I'd be happy to continue this conversation on with you or answer any questions that you might have. Braylon, I'm sure would be happy to answer them as well. Make sure you go follow her over at That Special Educator. Thank you so much for listening and have a great rest of your day.